Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course Podcast from the University of Minnesota. This episode is adapted from a webinar that aired on February 6, 2018. The podcast discusses giving feedback in the context of the University of Minnesota. For more information and resources on giving feedback, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore Module 1 on Feedback and Coaching. So thank you for joining us. This is a webinar called Giving Feedback That Works. I'm Amanda Wolford, and I'm joined by Brandon Sullivan, Donna Sadoff, and Christina McGuire. And we're all from Leadership and Talent Development, also known as LTD. So today's webinar is part of the Supervisory Development course, which can get you started on the path to building your skills, helping you focus, and support your ongoing learning. This course contains introductory videos, principal quick guides, scenarios, and quizzes for you to explore. But to get the most out of this course, you'll need to go to the site, supervising.umn.edu, and practice the content in the real world. One year ago today, we had, not today, but one year ago, we had a webinar on feedback and coaching. So today's webinar is not a repeat of that, but instead it's a deeper dive of giving feedback that works. So we're going to focus on the challenges you're facing and reinforce the concepts of effective feedback and coaching by giving you some ideas to try. And the goal of the supervisory development course in these webinars is to support you in practicing and developing new skills. So Brandon's going to talk more about skill development. Thanks, Amanda. Uh, first, keep in mind that becoming a more effective supervisor is really no different from improving any other type of skill. For example, say you want to become a better soccer player, improve your bowling skills, or learn a new language. What do all these things have in common? Well, the key is practice, lots and lots of practice. And supervisory skills are no different from that. Uh, A book, a webinar, even a great supervisor training course will only get you started on the path toward improving your skills. The key is really to make it a priority to practice by applying your skills in your day-to-day work. So if you want to get better at feedback and coaching, the first question to ask yourself is this, how will I make this a priority? Although practice takes an investment of time, when supervisors get better at feedback and coaching, they find that they end up spending less time, not more time, talking with their direct reports in the long run, and the time they spend is more productive. So investing time now in building your skills will save you much more later on. To help you get started with a plan for how you'll improve your feedback and coaching skills, take out your action sheet if you were able to print it, or you can open it up on your computer if you can. Um, And on your action sheet, rate on a scale of 1 to 10 how important it is to you to improve your feedback and coaching skills. 1 is not at all important, and 10 means it is the most important thing you'll be working on right now. Then write down three ideas for when you might use the skills we'll be highlighting in today's webinar. Be as specific as possible about who you'll give feedback to or coach, what you might say, and when you can do it. I'll give you just a few moments here to jot down some ideas. Now, if you don't have an action sheet, that's okay. You can open up a new Word doc or Google doc or take out a piece of paper. Even a post-it note is fine if that's all that's handy. The point is to make a plan and write it down. This makes it much more likely that you'll actually try it. Let's start with a couple of reasons why feedback and coaching are so helpful for us as supervisors. For your department or team to be successful, you need a high level of commitment and dedication to doing good work, plus an effective environment that provides the support and resources needed to get the work done. At the university, most people are highly committed and dedicated. However, when highly committed and dedicated people don't have an effective work environment, this leads to frustration. And based on Uh, the university's engagement survey, about one in five faculty and staff are frustrated. Now, research shows that frustrated employees will do one of three things if the sources of frustration aren't addressed. First, they may find innovative ways to fix the sources of frustration and then become engaged, and that's wonderful. A lot of people don't do that. Another option is they may get tired of dealing with this frustration and look for other opportunities, often in another organization. Or three, they may lower their expectations and become disengaged. So reducing frustration is an important part of retaining talented employees and preventing disengagement, which harms morale and productivity. The reason I'm bringing this up is because one of the biggest sources of frustration at the university is not receiving coaching for development. When we looked at the 2017 employee engagement survey data, 
The item that asks about coaching and development had one of the biggest gaps between frustrated and engaged employees for both faculty and staff. So focusing on improving feedback and coaching is one of your best ways to boost engagement, reduce frustration, and retain your most committed and dedicated employees. Another reason to improve feedback and coaching skills is that they make performance management much easier and more effective. Traditionally, performance management has not been about feedback and coaching, but has been about setting goals at the beginning of the year and then doing performance reviews at the end of the year, two administrative processes that can take a lot of time and often do little to support development and performance. However, when the focus is more about regular feedback and coaching through ongoing check-ins, this does much more to support development and improve performance. Plus, it makes the performance review process much smoother and easier. Ongoing check-ins are where feedback and coaching come to life. A good check-in involves setting and updating goals and defining success so you both know what you are aiming for and what the priorities should be. Evaluating progress and identifying challenges so that you can provide feedback and coaching to help the person solve problems and build skills. And the core of coaching is feedback. And Amanda's going to talk more about that now. Thank you, Brandon. So just as you said, the core of coaching is ongoing feedback and support. And that's where supervisors can make the biggest impact. And we're going to get back to this, but since feedback is the key component of coaching, we're going to dive into that first. So I want you all to think about experiences that you've already had with feedback. Before the webinar started, we heard a lot about the positive feedback you've given and received, which goes to show it doesn't always have to be scary or uncomfortable. But to be able to grow and learn, getting better at giving constructive feedback will make you a well-rounded supervisor. So we'd like to hear from you again. So answer the question that resonates with you the most and answer that in the chat. And when you answer, please do not include any identifying information and make sure to send it to all participants because we want to, you to have some kind of cross conversation as we go along here today as well. So your question to answer is, think of a time you gave feedback and it failed. What would you have done differently? Or think of a time when you should have given feedback but didn't and what happened as a result? So I just want to highlight a couple things. I think I was too gentle and kind to the point, and then the point was lost. On the opposite side, it was too blunt, and it might have did more damage. Waited too long. It seems to a lot of some themes coming in is that it wasn't clear and it was too vague, and so therefore it didn't um, provide any direction as to how to move forward effectively or productively. I see a lot of comments about just being too nice so that the person didn't get the point. Yeah, or not being direct about what the behaviors were and couching feedback in a way that makes it unclear what you're trying to say. It looks like a lot of these comments, um, it, it seems like the outcomes haven't been great when the feedback hasn't gone well or hasn't been given or has been given indirectly. Thank you all for, for making your comments in the chat. And so it's really to show you that we're all in the same boat. Yeah, here's one about um, trying to kind of give some compliments to lessen the blow. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That's a common thing that it's easy to do where you you know you have some direct feedback that's maybe more constructive or negative feedback, but then you don't want the person to feel terrible, so you kind of mix it up with some positive feedback. That's common. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. There's also a couple about um, the person give, that you were trying to give a feedback to deflected it or didn't understand, um, which will also talk about maybe increasing self-awareness so they understand how that feedback can work for them. Mm -hmm. And the final comment I would make is that people really realize that if they don't give feedback when the issues are small, they just get bigger and bigger. They get worse. Yeah. So again, thank you for sharing those. And we're going to address some of those key points here shortly. So Keep, keep them coming, though, and keep having those conversations with your peers online if you'd like. So the reason why we asked you about these two questions is we're just here to help you face your fears and normalize those pain points. It's very natural to not want to give constructive feedback, but we need to understand why we might be avoiding feedback and then how to overcome it. So it helps to take a step back and think about what you might be fearful of. So for those of you who said, I waited too long. What is holding you back from giving feedback? 
Is it your emotions? Is it the other person's emotions? Their potential responses? What if they cry? How would you respond to that? So I'm going to remind you of some of the tools and content that we already have that exist online in the supervisory development course. And it's regarding feedback. And then we'll take a closer look at how to address some of those reactions. So feedback is information communicated for the purpose of helping another person modify their behavior to improve learning and performance. So an easy way to think about it is in three steps. Get ready, get set, give feedback. You may have heard the statistic that two-thirds of feedback fails, and that's usually because the get ready and get set steps are ignored. So being proactive about giving feedback can help alleviate having to be reactive and deal with feedback that doesn't go well or escalates into performance issues. We have a quick guide, Get Ready, Get Set, Give Feedback on this if you weren't already aware, and you can access it from the Z-Link on the screen or in Module 1 of the Supervisory Development course. So I just want to review the Get Ready step first. So what you want to ask yourself is, do you take the time to prepare to give feedback? When you get ready, it's about laying the groundwork and being intentional and thinking first about your biases which means do you have a higher standard for one employee in comparison with another? Does one employee get a pass because you've worked with them for a long time? What are the possible explanations for why someone is behaving in a certain way? That's a good question to ask as well. And these are just a few examples of common biases. And doing this will help you to be more objective and then increase the chances that your feedback will be effective, heard and understood and not end up in the way that you all described in the chat. So then you want to think about how and where the feedback will occur and consider what the person needs for the conversation to be comfortable. And when people feel safe, they will be open and honest and more likely to hear what you have to say. So a lot of feedback or questions that we received after last year's webinar was how to deal with a direct report who's defensive about feedback and coaching. And sometimes defensiveness can come from workplace culture. And what I mean by this is, do team members feel that they can express their views, raise questions or concerns, and be open and honest with each other without fearing ridicule or disrespect? Or are people reluctant to admit their mistakes or to admit when they don't know something? That might be where defensiveness comes from. It's also beneficial to acknowledge that as a supervisor, you make mistakes too, and you don't have all the answers. So tell your team that you might miss something and that they need to speak up and make you aware. This will put people at ease to talk about their mistakes more openly and to admit when they don't know something. Another word for this is psychological safety. We have a lot more information on a quick guide called Establishing Norms and Expectations, and that can be found in the Module 4 Leading Teams. We also have a link up there on the slide, so you can check that out later. So I want to get back to addressing your feedback pain points or fears about how someone might react. So you want to think about how might the person respond? So if you find yourself needing to give constructive feedback, think about your talking points and then brainstorm all the possible what-if scenarios of how the person could respond, such as what if they get angry? What if they cry? What if they say, well, you never told me that? And then devise a way to respond to each. And doing this can help keep your own emotions in check and keep you objective in the moment. So I want to talk about the reaction of crying, for example. Tears are actually a biological reaction to stress, and they indicate that there's a problem to assess. So you definitely want to acknowledge tears and not judge them. Offer the person a tissue so that they can gather their thoughts. This also shows them that you're paying attention and then allow them room to process the information, but be supportive at the same time. And once the emotion has subsided, ask them a few questions like, what's wrong? What's going on? Or is there anything else that you want to tell me? You don't need to be a therapist. You just need to be available and supportive. You may find out that the person is overworked, sick, or frustrated, and through the conversation, you can help address any underlying issues and move forward with clarity. So then, once you've had some time to get ready, you might feel like you're ready to give the feedback, but then before you do, make sure that it's a good time. 
if someone's in the middle of solving a problem or is trying to figure something out, you'll want to wait. Otherwise, it's just an interruption and distraction, which can cause more frustration. However, you don't want to wait too long, right? We saw in your chat, you waited too long, it got past the point, things got worse. So it's about timing, but you want to time it right. So when you get ready and get set, it'll make giving feedback that much easier, which leads us to actually giving the feedback. So the best way to be objective is to formulate feedback through the situation, behavior, and impact, or SBI, method. And always connect feedback to their goals. So next, Brandon and I are going to demonstrate examples of good and bad feedback. So I want you to listen to our exchanges and for the SBI method and think about what's effective and what's not. You can take notes on your action sheet. And you're going to hear a new voice, Christina, who is our narrator for these role plays. So take it away, Christina. Okay. In this scenario, Amanda is Brandon's supervisor, and she needs to give him some constructive feedback about his actions in a team meeting this morning, but she doesn't want to sound too critical. So let's listen in. Hey, Brandon, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. What's up? You did a really nice job facilitating the team brainstorming meeting this morning. Hey, that's great. I thought it went okay. I spent a ton of time preparing. Oh, and uh, I also, um, I have something else I want to tell you. Okay. Well, I wanted to point out that you didn't do a very good job of listening to what other people on the team had to say. You kind of made up your mind about what you wanted to do and then tried to make everyone agree with you. Does that make sense? Well, sometimes it seems like no one else on the team has an opinion about anything. Or if they do, they don't speak up. So that's why I offer my ideas to move forward. Oh, I get that. And at the same time, one thing I really appreciate about you is that you aren't shy about saying what you think. I really like that. Oh, okay. Thanks. So Brandon walks away from the conversation feeling confused and annoyed that Amanda's feedback, and Amanda walks away thinking the conversation went well. She felt relieved to get through the hard messaging by giving Brandon some positive feedback, too. Although this exchange seemed to go well, this is an example of a feedback sandwich in which constructive feedback is sandwiched between positive feedback. We talked about this in last year's webinar, and many people have asked about it since. It's tempting to use because it seems to soften the blow of constructive feedback, but instead it's just undermining your feedback and your relationship with your direct report who may discount the positive feedback, thinking it's not genuine. So we're going to run through that scenario again, avoiding the feedback sandwich. See if you hear the difference. Hey, Brandon, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, what's up? I want to talk to you about your presentation this morning. Okay, I thought it was pretty productive. Well, a couple times you cut off both Mary and Ryan in mid-sentence to disagree with them. They hadn't even had the chance to finish explaining their ideas before you jumped in with a bunch of reasons why you didn't think their ideas would work. That also shut down what was supposed to be a brainstorming session so we could generate some ideas as a team. Uh, you know, I don't remember cutting them off. I do remember that Mary seemed pretty quiet in the meeting and Ryan seemed just really distracted with something. I don't think I had anything to do. Well, at the beginning of the meeting, we went around the table and everyone shared one idea they had for solving the problem. When it was Mary's turn, she started talking about her idea and she was mid-sentence. But her idea would never work. You just did it again. Did you notice that? Just as I was talking, you cut me off to disagree with me. That's what I'm talking about and the same thing that happened this morning. Oh, sorry about that. I guess I get so caught up in what I want to say. I just want to say it. Well, and that makes other people feel like you don't value or respect them and that shuts down productive discussions. All right. So I should just stop speaking up then? Absolutely not. What I want you to take from this conversation is to be more self-aware of the impact that you're having on others. So next time, find a way of expressing your thoughts while also listening to what others have to say. So let's talk a little bit more about that now. So were you able to hear the difference? Amanda provided feedback using situation, behavior, impact method, which allowed her to be more objective, and she didn't soften the message with positive feedback. Again, doing so just dilutes the message. Take note that feedback is not a one-time-and-you're-done occurrence. It's easy to fall in the trap of, well, I tried this technique and it didn't work, so I'm giving up. Instead, Amanda may need to follow up a few times and continue to coach Brandon on developing reflective listening skills and address his defensive behavior. Feedback is not all or nothing. It's a continuum where Amanda may just have to continue to give Brandon repeated feedback 
before he develops enough self-awareness to change his behavior. Feedback doesn't always have to be critical or constructive, and it shouldn't be. You want to also catch people doing things right, but in a way that's valuable to the other person and not watered down. So here's another example. Amanda wants to praise Brandon for some exceptional work he's been doing lately, so she stops by his desk. Hey Brandon, the way you presented the data in the meeting this morning was terrific. Nice job. Well, thanks. I'm glad you thought it was good. I was a little nervous about the presentation. What do you think worked well? Oh, I don't know. You're just so good with data. Just keep up the good work. So Brandon leaves the meeting wondering what he did that was so good. He knows his supervisor thinks he did a good job, but doesn't know why. While it's great that Amanda gave Brandon positive feedback, it became watered down and won't mean as much in the long run. The purpose of positive feedback is recognition, but also to reinforce behaviors to continue doing. He won't know what to continue if he doesn't specifically know what he's doing right. He might think that feedback was about the way he assembled the data report, but in actuality, Amanda was praising him about his ability to answer questions about the data. So let's have Amanda try that again and listen for the difference. Brandon, that report you wrote and the way you presented the data this morning were terrific. What made your presentation so helpful was that you started by summarizing the key points in a way that everyone could understand, and it wasn't super technical. And then you also paid attention and stopped to explain things when people look confused. Nice job. Well, thanks. I'm glad you thought it was good. I, I was a little nervous about the presentation. So here, Amanda used the SBI method to give her positive feedback, and Brandon now knows specifically what he did that was effective. So now we want to hear from you. In the chat, share the most constructive feedback that you've received that helped you improve. And while you are thinking and typing, let's hear from let's hear some examples from Amanda and Brandon. Thanks, Christina. So I just wanted to share a time when I received constructive feedback and its impact that it had on me. So when I first took a job here at the U in 2006, I did classroom training. And my supervisor observed some of my classes, and after one of them, she came up to me and asked me if me leaning on the podium was intentional. And I had no idea that I was doing this, so it was not intentional. As it turned out, that's when I was wearing high heels when I trained, something I don't do anymore. And I was leaning on the podium to give my back relief from all the standing. So it was a wake-up call about how important body language is. And I was sending out a nonverbal message that I wasn't even aware of. So I quickly went out and purchased a pair of Dansko clogs, which are the type of shoes that people who stand on their feet all the time, like doctors and trainers, wear. So that's my story, and I'm going to turn over to Brandon, who also has a good story. Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, I was working on some projects with a very experienced external leadership consultant, um, and he's a wonderful leadership coach. Uh, we were in a bunch of meetings together, so he had a chance over a few months to really see me in action. He noticed that there are times when I don't speak up in meetings when maybe I could, um, you know, when I have a clear role in a meeting, like making a presentation or leading discussion, I always have a lot to say and I'm really comfortable speaking up. But I am pretty introverted. So when it's more of an open discussion, uh, I often quiet down, especially when I feel like other people have more expertise than I do. Uh, so this external coach pulled me aside one day and suggested that I make a point of saying at least one thing in every meeting, even if I feel like someone else could make the point better than me. He explained that he thought it would help me be more engaged and be seen as more involved in discussions. I took his advice. It was pretty simple and straightforward to do, and I found it to be really helpful, and it actually has made a pretty big difference for me. Uh, so that's just a small example of some coaching I received that was actually really, really helpful. So now let's uh, take a look and see what you all have been saying. So just on your note, Brandon, someone else said that they needed to speak up and share more ideas in meetings. It was depriving the organization of useful ideas. Same, similar thing there. Smile more, the voice <laughs> is louder. I mean, something very simple that you can do. Yep, someone pointed out using the word um and these fillers. That's really hard to do, and some people really struggle not to do that, but that's real simple coaching. Again, if you're aware you're doing that, you can do something about it. See something about context when you lead mm -hmm. a meeting with context? Get everyone up, up to speed. Don't make assumptions. Everyone has the same background, which everybody can see. So, again, we do this so that you can see others' thoughts as well. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, looking at just across all of this feedback, 
the vast majority of it is pretty simple, straightforward feedback that's pretty, you know, most of it's actionable if you're aware of it. And, you know, one of the things that we're hoping to convey through this webinar and through our supervisor development courses, a lot of this stuff, it's not that complicated. It's really about taking the time to do it. And in the case of feedback, focusing on behavior and, and how it can be helpful. Often we get so busy, we don't take the time. And think about what if you wouldn't have been given that feedback that some of you were talking about? I'd still be leaning on the podium. Yeah. And some folks would be not speaking up during meetings and depriving organizations of ideas. So feedback doesn't always have to be, to be uncomfortable or scary. And I think the more that we all give it and receive it, the better off we're going to be. So I actually have a quiz for you all. So it's queued up on the screen. So you're going to read the following feedback statements, or I'll read them to you. You did a good job on your project. Thanks for your hard work. The way you handled yourself during the meeting was really good. So which of the following would make all of these statements more effective? Okay, the poll is closed. So the majority of you were answering B, C, and D, and that's perfect. We embedded in there, <clears throat> excuse me, the situation, behavior, and impact that it had. So you've been listening to us, so that's great. With A, including opportunities for improvement, what would happen there is you might fall into the feedback sandwich. So if you're giving a, a positive feedback statement, but then a, an improvement statement, that'll get, that'll get convoluted with the message that you're trying to send. And nobody selected E. Very good job, A+. Plus. Those are not good examples of feedback. They're just compliments is what they are. So you always want to focus your feedback on the behaviors. Behaviors that you want people to continue doing and behaviors that you want people to stop doing when you're giving constructive feedback. So I'm going to just wrap up our section on feedback and transition to coaching because coaching and feedback are like peanut butter and jelly. But remember with feedback, try using the get ready, get set, and give feedback steps, especially formulating feedback with the situation, behavior, and impact approach. And this will allow you to describe the feedback in a way that's objective for the other person. So once you give feedback, it's all about coaching. Coaching is equipping people with the tools, knowledge, and opportunities they need to develop themselves and become more effective. Coaching is all about holding someone accountable to the feedback that they've received. So earlier, Brandon talked about the difference between engaged and frustrated employees. And the game changer is whether or not their supervisor takes the time to help their direct reports problem solve. And we're not saying to give them all the answers, rather teach them to fish, as the saying goes. If you're helping them solve problems by giving them all the answers, they're going to become dependent on you. So instead, share your ideas and suggestions. For example, you could help direct reports think through a situation they're facing and encourage them to brainstorm possible ways to solve the problem. That's coaching in action, and that should alleviate frustration and help foster engagement. Coaching is also a two-way street. So when you're coaching, are your employees taking ownership of their own career and development? Are they setting goals, seeking opportunities, and asking for guidance when needed? Are they asking questions about your expectations and goals? Are they proactive when work seems misaligned with broader goals and asking questions about that? Do they ask for feedback and once received, act on it? As a supervisor, are you communicating vision and strategy and clarifying their role in the big picture? Do you provide clear expectations for results, which is the what, and behaviors, the how of their work? Are you defining what success looks like? And revisiting goals and expectations during check-ins. So if you don't have these expectations established, feedback and coaching is not going to work very well. So first, you want to be sure to build this understanding into your conversations and relationships with your direct reports. So next, Brandon is going to talk more about how you can become a better coach. So just like the theme of this web webinar, coaching takes practice. And if you're thinking, like many of us do, that's great, but I don't have time, um, you're not alone. There's no way around the fact, though, that coaching does take time and energy. The good news is that if you focus your coaching in the right way, it doesn't take that much time to make a real difference. 
So here's what you can do. Write down the name of someone you supervise that you think could benefit from feedback and coaching over the next two weeks or so. If you're not a supervisor, you can think of someone else maybe that you uh, want to give feedback to uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, briefly describe the feedback and the suggestions you might have for the other person. And remember to consider the situation, the behavior, and then the impact of that behavior. And don't worry about getting things perfect. Just write down your initial thoughts. Um, if you make a plan and write it down, it's more likely to happen. And even better, actually, after you've written it down, talk with your own supervisor about your plan to practice and get better at feedback and coaching. Because when we tell someone else about our plan, it makes it even more likely that we'll follow through, and we may even get support from our supervisor if we do that. Now, consider this. Do you have 15 minutes in the next two weeks to have a conversation with the person that you just thought of giving feedback to? If so, here's a simple but effective method called 2 plus 2 coaching. First, set up a 15-minute meeting with the person, and it can be part of a regular one-on-one -on -one status meeting. Uh, during the conversation, make two comments on progress toward current goals and make two comments about what they might do more or less of in the future to be effective. This formula is outlined in your action sheet as well. A nice thing about this method is that it's simple. It really doesn't take that much time, and if you do this regularly, say once a month or even once every three months, you're doing some of the most important parts of performance management. Another common challenge is when someone responds to feedback or coaching by arguing, getting defensive, or simply not seeming to care. Or someone may seem to accept your feedback and coaching in the moment, but then nothing changes, and it's as though you never had the conversation in the first place. When any of these things happen, the first thing to do is assess what is causing this. Consider whether you are delivering effective feedback. Are you describing the situation, behaviors, and impact? Are you being direct and clear? If not, then improving your feedback giving skills would be helpful. If you are doing all of these things and the person still isn't listening or responding to your feedback, then the issue is probably a lack of self-awareness, low motivation to change, or both. Here's the coaching process again. Notice that it begins with self-awareness and motivation to learn. Because a lack of self-awareness and motivation are two of the most common reasons coaching isn't successful, you'll want to assess these first. People who demonstrate self-awareness know their strengths, development opportunities, and can have open and honest conversations about them. If an employee seems defensive or doesn't respond to your feedback and coaching, consider, do they actually know what their strengths are? Do they know what their needs are? For example, do you have a direct report who constantly interrupts people when they're talking? Have they been given feedback about this behavior and the impact it has on others? Have they received this feedback more than once? give them the benefit of the doubt, they may not be aware that they're doing these things. And even if they do, they may not fully appreciate how big of an impact it's having. So helping them understand the negative impact on others is a place to start. By the way, this applies to both strengths and development needs. Many people aren't aware of what they're doing well. In fact, some of the most talented people can also be the most critical of their own skills and accomplishments. So be sure to give plenty of feedback about strengths as well as development needs. Developing your own supervisory skills requires the same self-awareness and motivation you need from your direct reports. So don't forget that you'll be going through a parallel process yourself. Be sure to challenge yourself. Are you fully aware of your own strengths and development needs? Do you know the impact, positive, negative, and otherwise, that your behaviors have on others? Do you have blind spots where you might not be quite as effective as you think you are? We all have those. Are you motivated to make your supervisory skills a priority? The best way to develop self-awareness is to seek out feedback and then really listen to what others are telling you. If someone has self-awareness and knows that they, what they need to work on, but they are not putting much time or energy into it, then there may be a lack of motivation to change. If the person isn't motivated, then you'll find yourself giving the same feedback and coaching over and over, but there will be little to show for it. In this case, the key is to try to understand why the person doesn't see the point of taking action to learn and improve. Then, the person, then help the person see what's in it for them if they do put time and effort into it. By our nature, people strive for purpose and meaning in our lives, including at work. But different people are motivated by different things, which fall into one or more of the goals listed on this slide. Consider, what is your primary source of motivation? If someone seems unmotivated, consider which of these may be the most meaningful to them and try to help them see how your feedback and coaching 
can help them achieve their goals? Are they looking for stronger connections with others, influencing others, having more autonomy, demonstrating their skills and expertise? Keep in mind that other people may have very different sources of motivation than you do. Finally, discuss and agree on the next steps for the work, for the person's development, and for your check-ins. This can be simple or highly detailed, and it can be formal or informal. The key is to just do it. Consider what makes the most sense for the work and for the individual, and ultimately for you. At a minimum, discuss and agree on what are the person's next steps and what are your next steps, and when will you complete them? We're going to look at some coaching case studies, and then we'll do a poll to get your thoughts. Donna Sathoff has been waiting in the wings to discuss some examples, and they're real examples of situations that Donna has encountered during her many years of coaching experience. I'll turn it over to you, Donna. Great. Well, thanks so much, Brandon. I appreciate that. So I should start by mentioning that in sharing these real-life um, case scenarios that I've changed some of the particulars so they're not attributed to any individual or unit. Um, so you'll want to listen closely because we have a poll for you to determine the next steps and remember that you can take notes on your actions sheet. So I once, co once coached a supervisor, and let's call her Victoria, who had a talented and very driven employee that we'll call Jack. Jack was a solid performer, very efficient, and liked to do challenging work, but who also tended to see situations in black and white terms. Jack worked with internal clients who brought him very complex problems to, that did not lend themselves to easy black and white solutions. And what Jack really needed to do was ask clarifying questions of his clients to make sure he fully understood the root cause of the problem. In fact, many times, Jack's quick solutions did not sufficiently address the problem at hand and created even more problems. The particular challenge with Jack is that he thought he had exceptional skills. He also saw his current role as somewhat beneath him and thought he would be a much better supervisor than Victoria. He didn't see any areas where he needed to improve and thought Victoria needed to do more to motivate and develop him. So next, Amanda is going to host a poll to see what you think the next steps are. Thank you, Donna. So based on what Donna just described, thinking of that coaching model, if you were Victoria, where would you start in coaching Jack? Would it be A, self-awareness, B, motivation, C, ongoing feedback and support, D, application, or E, accountability? So go ahead and make your selection. Yeah, and so just remember, you've got a very high potential employee here, perhaps overestimates his abilities and can see complicated problems in very simplistic terms. Maybe just a couple seconds for the results to come in, but we can see the results as they're, mm -hmm. they're tabulating. So It's pretty clear yeah. what people are thinking, that self-awareness is, uh, is the issue here. Yeah, and that's going to be the final answer from the group. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, you guys got it exactly right. And, you know, just a couple of things about this scenario. And, you know, Jack was kind of salt, was pretty challenging to supervise. And so it did take Victoria a little while to give him feedback. But ultimately, if you think about developing Jack's self-awareness, Victoria really needed to provide clarity in his roles and responsibilities, ensure he understood what her expectations were, and just to support him in developing his self-awareness and really help him to know what he didn't know. Um, and along the way in developing in, um, his self-awareness, really creating a psych psychologically safe environment, recognizing his strengths, giving him stretch assignments, and engaging him in his own development. Um, and also I talked with Victoria about recognizing um, what some of her own blind spots were and developing her self-awareness too, frankly. And what I'll say about this, um, just to kind of conclude on this scenario, is Jack did ultimately end up finding another job elsewhere. Um, and so it kind of underscores the importance of starting with an employee early on to develop that feedback and coaching, um, really when they're walking in the door and, uh, you know, um, have clarity and know what their strengths are and really adapt your management style to work with them. So good job, everyone. So um, I have another uh, case scenario to share with you, and it's a little bit different. Um, but this has to do with um, 
um, a client that I had who happened to be a faculty member that I had an opportunity to do some coaching with, and we'll call her Jane, not her real name again, but she was a very talented um, faculty member, had a very heavy teaching load, engaged in a lot of research activities, and provided a significant amount of community outreach and university service. She also traveled frequently all over the world to engage in and share her research. And Jane was very open, cared a lot about others, um, had a lot of values around really extending her research to help others, and also had a hard time saying no when other people asked her to do things. So Jane received some feedback um, from both graduate and undergraduate students that she was becoming really difficult to reach if they had questions. She was always busy and really um, was becoming less clear in outlining her expectations for coursework on her syllabi. It created a fair amount of confusion. So when I met with Jane, and we met over um, the course of a few sessions, but she recognized that somehow she had to get a handle on her work or she would burn out. And in fact, she was quickly getting to that place and she was really ready to make whatever changes she needed to make. So um, let's see, uh, we're going to do another poll here. Amanda's going to host another poll for the next step and to see what, what might be going on with Jane. Where is she at in, the, in this process? Thank you, Donna, for the case study. So here comes another poll based on what Donna just described. Where would you start in coaching Jane? So the same steps in the coaching process are listed. A, self-awareness. B, motivation. C, ongoing feedback and support. D, application, E, accountability. And so what I would um, say about Jane again is that um, she's very talented and productive, but she's very overcommitted. And so um, she did have that level, and I will just, not to divulge an answer, but she did have some awareness of what was going on, um, that she was getting burned out. So hopefully that'll be helpful in figuring out where she's at in the, the process and where I started with coaching her. All right. Well, we've got a, a number of different um, answers here. It's kind of split across the middle. And I, I can see where um, it, it's true the feedback is really important that she needed to apply some skills. But where we were able to start, um, the, the piece where we were able to, to begin her journey on was that she was very motivated to change. And we really started there. And um, she had the desire to move forward, but actually what we talked on were next steps in, in moving her ahead. Um, so what I did is I suggested that she think about what her priorities are, both, both in her professional and personal life, and use those as guides in beginning to say no to additional commitments. And there was a real openness to that. Um, and so to do this, we brainstormed a bit and came up with committing to do a mini retreat for a day or two where she would have no distractions, no kids, no spouse, emails, etc. Uh, she decided to do this during her quietest time in August. And she also acknowledged improving self-care was vital um, and committed to doing this. So um, if we look at Jane and kind of sources of motivation for her, it was her connections and relationships with her students and colleagues. Those were all really very important to her. Um, and she had a strong sense of accomplishment but couldn't do everything. And that's where we were able to work together to prioritize. Um, so that's where we started in the motivation, and then we were able to go from there. Thanks, everyone, for your participation. So we're going to have Q&A shortly at the end. So if you do have some follow-up questions, please feel free to enter those now. So the other thing we want you to do right now is in the chat, we have a final question for you. So go ahead and use the chat to share any ahas that you have had about coaching or something new that you're going to try. So feel free to share those chats. So I'm just going to summarize the coaching section. Remember that a person always needs self-awareness and motivation to learn from coaching, because if they don't, you want to first work with them to build up those areas. And one of the biggest coaching decisions is deciding exactly what skills, knowledge, and abilities to focus on and picking appropriate tools to then help the person develop through ongoing feedback, support, and practice. And once you know it'll work for the person, then you continue to help them be successful in that area. So just remember that coaching for development and the reason we do it is all about retaining 
motivated, talented, and skilled people. We don't want them to be like Jack and find a job elsewhere. And earlier in the presentation, Brandon mentioned how feedback and coaching tie into performance management. So as long as you continue to have check-ins that include effective feedback and coaching, by the time you get to that formal evaluation, it should really be a simple summary of all the conversations that you've already had. And you can start this process right now, no matter if you're nearing the end of performance reviews or have already finished them, just start practicing today and make that a habit. And with that, we also have a call to action for you. Some of this might be really new to you, and some of this information, if you're a seasoned supervisor, it's not so new. But if you are a seasoned supervisor, see if you can reach out and mentor a newer supervisor, because sometimes you can learn from teaching, teaching others about things. You'll learn new things as well. So the supervisory development course is out there as a resource. And just to kind of toot our horn here a little bit, I got an email last week from someone at NDSU, and she asked if we purchased the course from a vendor, which we didn't. We built it from the ground up, and it's here at the University of Minnesota for U of M supervisors. So make sure you take advantage. And we also have a form online that allows you to submit questions. But we, what we also want to do is hear from you about any successes that you've had in using the material or letting us know how we can improve it. So we're going to shift to getting back to your chat. I just want to see what we have for things that you're going to try, some new things. Looks like there's more questions than any ahas. So well, we might get back to that, but let's go ahead and shift into the Q&A section of the court, of this webinar. So I'm going to turn it over to my colleagues. Are there any Q&As that you want to answer? Well, there's, there's one question here about um, how you scale it up when you supervise a large staff. Um, and, you know, I think that you can't get away from the fact that coaching requires time. Um, so there isn't any sort of gimmicky thing that actually works where you don't have to spend some time. So what I would say is, you know, figure out what is realistic for you in terms of how much time, whether it's, you know, 10 minutes, even 15 minutes, um, you know, once a month, once every quarter, you know, whatever, whatever you can actually fit into your schedule. Um, and the, it's really less about the amount of time and it's more about what you talk about. And so, you know, I would say it's being efficient, having a structure saying we're going to talk about goals, how you're doing on your goals. Uh, we're going to talk about ideas for uh, moving forward. And we're going to have that conversation um, in, a, in a focused and quick way if that's what you have to do. Um, but there really there are a lot of, you know, kind of gimmicky things out there. And I don't think any of them really work. The two plus two coaching approach is probably going to be your best bet. And if 15 minutes is too long, then, you know, maybe 10 minutes or heck, even five. I mean, I've had coaching conversations with people that are five minutes long. Um, and again, it's really about making sure you're focused on the right things, on behaviors and goals and how to get better. We have another question. There's some questions and comments, too, about how to foster that self-awareness and motivation from others. So a couple of resources to point out on the supervising.umn.edu site. There is a quick guide, a quick guide to coaching, and it has outlined additional questions, what does success look like in building mm -hmm. each piece of that coaching process, including the self-awareness and motivation. But along with that, sometimes it just starts with that feedback and providing that feedback using the SBI model that increases the person's self-awareness about what they're doing. Like, for example, Amanda's um, example about leaning on the podium. She wasn't aware she was doing that until somebody pointed it out. So that increased her self-awareness with that simple statement. Yeah, there, there were a number of questions too around sort of what are some methods for coaching for self-awareness. And that's where, you know, really that, that situation behavior impact approach is effective. And make sure you focus on the, the impact as well, because sometimes so people have some degree of self-awareness that they're doing something that annoys their boss or, you know, they've gotten a little bit of feedback on it, but they may not appreciate the impact that that behavior is having on other people. Um, and that often is really the key to really taking self-awareness from, okay, I'm vaguely aware that this is something that somebody doesn't like to, oh, I see why this is something I need to change. So that's where if if you're struggling to help someone with self-awareness, really focus on what is the impact it has 
and giving direct feedback yourself, and then also you know seeing if if there are other people who are impacted who could also give that feedback. That can be very very helpful as well. So someone asked, actually a couple of people, um, are there any distinctions between coaching and feedback for growth and development versus performance issues, or is the process the same? And that's a really great question. And I always see the giving feedback process as, um, you know, you need to first make sure you have foundationally clarity around what the what the job expectations are. Um, if those are kind of fuzzy, your feedback's going to be fuzzy, regardless of what what you're using the feedback for. And I would say that situation behavior impact model would be would be good regardless of what the situation is, whether you, you're giving developmental feedback or constructive feedback. Um, I, I think it's all going to be good. And also, um, if it's a more challenging conversation, which sometimes when people say performance issues, that's what it is, refer back a little bit um, where uh, Brandon and Amanda were talking about where you have to give difficult feedback, and some of those, um, those um, will be helpful for you as well. I just had a couple of comments to share some of your ahas. A lot of you said just a great reminder to not use the feedback sandwich. So we're really happy to hear about that. Just be more direct. But we have given you some tools on how to formulate your feedback so that it doesn't seem too blunt. If you want to know more about our programs, go to z.umn.edu slash LTD programs. And we thank you so, so much for attending with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course podcast. Please explore the feedback and coaching resources on the supervising.umn.edu site. There, you'll find videos, guides, and more to help you assess performance, potential, and readiness, give feedback, and be a better coach. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions or would like to reach out, please email us at ltd at umn.edu.